So our New Testament reading this morning comes from page 1061 of the Pew Bible, and it is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So Holy Gospel according to Matthew 25, found on page 962 of the Pew Bible. Praise Praise and glory glory to to God. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, And he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes, or ill or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to Christ Christ the word. So I'd like to invite Emily up. Uh, So many of you will know Emily. I don't think she needs an introduction, but I think um, it's my first time I've heard Emily preach here. So I'm really excited for you. Can I pray for you? Father God, thank you for um, Emily's courage in preaching on this topic. Um, Father, just pray that you would um, speak through her and that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
Um, good morning. Um, those of you who haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been running a series on ethics around the barbecue. So we've been looking at controversial topics and um, looking at them through a, from a Christian perspective. Um, so we've had uh, well-being and something, well-being budgets. Um, uh, we did a, a cannabis law reform and and euthanasia. So I'm concluding our ethics around the barbecue series today and I'm going to talk to you about abortion. No pressure, not a controversial topic at all. Um, the social context for this topic, as you're almost certainly aware, is the current bill that's before Parliament um, and which will reform abortion law in New Zealand. So quoting from the blurb on the Parliament website, the omnibus bill amends the law to decriminalise abortion, removing it from the Crimes Act. Um, it will better align regulation of abortion services and with other health services and modernise the legal framework for abortion currently set out in the Crimes Act 1961 and the Contraception, Sterilisation and Abortion Act 1977. Um, and the bill and the policy discussion around it has been framed by its proponents as a purely health issue. But it's not a health issue. The debate around it tells us that it's also a moral issue. And as Christians, it's one that we should grapple with in order to contribute to the discussion or just to say, have something to say when it comes up around the barbecue. If it does, I suspect it doesn't very often, but occasionally. I have had conversations about it on a walk rather than a barbecue, but the point remains. Um, in the preparing this sermon, I did some reading around the biblical perspective on abortion. Um, and the consensus, there was more, more um, diversity in the discussion than I anticipated, but the consensus is that there is no biblical text that speaks directly to abortion. Um, the rights argument around abortion, which is the general way that the debate is often framed, um, is usually based on when life begins. And that um, and there's a lot of debate around that, and that is something that we can look to the Bible for um, a view on. So many claim that the Bible consistently portrays a symbolic world in which God is active in unborn life. Um, Richard Hayes points to our reading in Psalm 139 as an example of this, and it's easy to see why that perspective is taken looking at the language. I'm going to um, read the uh, NIV version of um, verses 13 and 14, which is um, a bit more um, gritty than the one we had this morning. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And this view was certainly my assumption coming to this topic. Um, but even amongst Christians and Bible readers, there's disagreement on this point. Um, other people point to Genesis 2 verse 7 to argue that life begins with the first breath. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. On this interpretation, there's no moral issue with abortion because life has not yet begun. And along similar lines, Exodus 21, 22-25, which is um, Book of the Law, um, requires financial compensation to a man whose wife is injured causing miscarriage. So here the miscarriage is treated as property loss rather than loss of life. And as much as I'd like to get into a nuanced argument around rights and hermeneutics, um, this kind of you know, fits nicely with my profession, um, 
I don't think that this is a Christian way to approach this issue at all. And just as I think Andrew Little is completely wrong in framing abortion as a purely health issue, it is, as I think it is clearly moral as well, my reading on this topic has led me to conclude that it is also wrong as Christians to frame it as a rights issue. And my shift in thinking has taken place actually through preparing for this sermon. So there are a couple of reasons why I think it's a right, why I think a rights-based framing of abortion isn't a useful framework from a Christian perspective. And the first problem is that with a rights debate, you're pitching mother and fetus against each other, treating them as opponents in a war of supremacy in a debate that's largely dominated by men. <clears throat> so we have the sacredness of life argument of, in favour of the fetus and a woman's right to decide what to do with her body on the other side. But if we look at the gospel and Jesus' approach, we see that the gospel favours women and children and children. And the gospel is feminist. In a time and place where women and children had no rights or status, Jesus' treatment of them gave them both respect and showed them that they had value. Related to this, framing abortion, the abortion debate as a battle for rights between a woman and a fetus ignores the third person and the genesis of that fetus. I'm not saying that the male genetic contributor should have rights. Um, rather, abortion is connected with sex. And because sex is usually how we make babies, um, we have to consider that as part of the whole discussion. I didn't really want to go there in this talk, to be honest, but I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. Um, sex in its proper place as Christians, as we understand it in the Bible, is within marriage, um, within a public commitment to do life together. And this is a good place to have babies. So marriage means that men take equal responsibility for the con consequences of sex. And I think that is a good thing. And the evidence um, of why women get abortions supports the man being involved as a reason for, um, the, for getting an abortion. Um, the Dunedin Longitudinal Study um, has some data around this, and the main reasons that women cited in that study for having an abortion were that they weren't ready, they felt they couldn't afford to have a child, or they weren't with the right partner. So I don't want to spend too much time on this point, and I realise it might be an awkward direction to take the discussion around the barbecue, but I do think that it's a significant part of our worldview that we should take ownership of. And I don't mean we should get on our high horses either. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And as my dad likes to put it, we've all declared our autonomy from God. But the Bible shows us that God, how God intended us to live, including the proper place of sex. So how do we frame abortion as Christians? Stanley Howarus, in an interesting and helpful talk on this topic, which I recommend to read um, if you have the time and inclination, um, he debunks the idea that Christians believe that life is sacred. He says that the notion seems to have no reference at all to God. Um, we Christians believe that there is much worth dying for. We don't believe that human life is an absolute good in and of itself. Of course, our desire to protect human life is part of seeing each human being as God's creature, but that doesn't mean that life is the overriding good. Instead, we believe that life is the gift of a gracious God. 
That's our primary Christian language regarding abortion. Life is the gift of a gracious God. And as part of that giftedness of life, we believe that we ought to live in profound awe of each other's existence, knowing that in the other we find God. And in a world of terrible injustice, in a world of such terrible misery, and in a world where so often the actions of adults result in the killing of children, and I'm thinking about climate change and war, having children in that context is an extraordinary act of faith and hope. Um, I remember when Juniper was about four months old, looking in these perfectly innocent, clear blue eyes and weeping at the state of the world that we are living her, um, that we will leave her. Um, in that context, we Christians have a hope in God that all urges us to welcome children and that is a testimony of faith. So with this framework of life as a gift and children symbolising hope, the Christian response to abortion must be to reframe the issue to focus on responsibility rather than rights. That is the responsibility of the whole Christian community to care for the least of these. If we look at the reasons for abortion, not being ready, being with the wrong partner, or lack of resources, the Christian response must be to say, be wise when it comes to sex, but if you find yourself pregnant, let us help you. Reverend Terry Hamilton sums it up well, and I'm going to finish with her words. We cannot simply throw the issue of abortion in the faces of women and say, you decide and bear the consequences of your decision. As the church, our response to the abortion issue must be to shoulder the responsibility to care for women and children. We cannot do otherwise and still be the church. If we close our doors in the faces of women and children, then we close our doors in the face of Christ. So as is our custom at the 10.30 service, um, we usually have a question to ponder. Have you taken liberties? Yeah. All right. There we go. I'll let Tim introduce the questions. No, no, we'll do it together. (laughs) I just thought, since it's our final sermon in this series, um, actually, just about every sentence in Emily's sermon, I reckon, uh, lent itself to this sentence, discuss. Um, But this, so I've tried to distill a little bit in those first two questions. How does moving beyond rights help? you think about the issue of abortion, what would it mean for you to take seriously being part of the communion of saints on this issue? I guess Emily's conclusion there. Uh, and then this is the one that Emily thought we were doing. Um, what about Hawass's point that life is a gift of God's grace? How does that challenge your actions or our actions as a Christian community, not necessarily just on abortion, but more generally? more generally in terms of Christian ethics, um, I guess. Any more to add? No. How long have we got for that? We've got ages. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so find we've got ages. Discuss. Have a chat. 